Welcome to New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit newhoperock.org. That's newhoperoc.org. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and this privilege to talk to my friends at New Hope, to talk to everyone that's listening, and to take the Word of God out and to let it do its thing. It's living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We love you, and we're looking forward to today, tomorrow, and the future of this church and of one another, and I just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for tuning in, for streaming in, or whatever the term is. Um, I'm excited. Um, I have a, what I believe is a good word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this section of scripture, and then we will begin to talk a little bit. I have a story to tell, and then we'll dive into this a little bit. Um, Old Testament, 2 Kings 13. Verses 14, when Elijah became sick with illness to which he was to die, Joash, or Jehoash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and arrows, or uh, take a bow and arrows. And he took the bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. Then he said, open the window toward the east, and he opened it. And Elijah said to the king, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram. For you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them completely. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. Elisha died and was buried. It's a very interesting portion of Scripture from 2 Kings 13. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me groan. I've read it numerous of times. Numerous times. It's rich with history. It's rich with plots and subplots and dramas and drama. Uh, it's just an amazing portion of the, of the last days of Elisha. Um, you ever have something happen in your life that is so out of the norm, is so out of the ordinary for you that you actually don't know what to say. You don't know how to respond to it. You're, you're, you're dumbfounded. You're, uh, I, I can remember uh, just even a few weeks ago, I'm coming out of the grocery store and I'm carrying groceries out and uh, there's the cars that are parked closest to the building and I'm about five or six cars up the hill from that. I get almost to my car and I hear this, this oi, oi, oi. And I'm looking around like, uh, okay. And I turned around and there's, there's a lady back by the first row. And she's flagging me down. She has two fingers together and she's flat. Oi, oi, oi. She's yelling at me. She's yelling. She doesn't look happy. And so I'm walking back toward her like, uh, did I drop something out of my groceries? Or why is this lady yelling at me? 
Um, I did everything my wife told me to do. I bought only what was on the list. I didn't get any substitutes, and I didn't talk to any strangers. So why is this? So I get all the way back to where she's standing, and she's got the hatch up on the back of her SUV, and she points down to her shopping cart, and she goes like this, and there's two cases of bottled water in her cart, and so she wants me to put them in the back of her truck. And once I put this all together, I kind of started laughing. Uh, I, hey, I'm glad, I'm glad to help anyone. But uh, I'm like, why is this woman yelling at me? So I handed my groceries to her, and I put the water in the back of her trunk, and she smiled and nodded her head. Clearly, she didn't know English. And, uh, and then I took my groceries, and I walked back up to the car. I think I laughed all the way up. I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to rotate the tires and get it waxed and washed for you while I'm down here. I mean, uh, but just her boldness to do that. Um, this story in 2 Kings 13 is the same way. So the king comes down from the hill, and he's going to pay his last respects to Elisha. Elisha's dying. It's clear to everyone. Whatever he had, everyone knew he was, these were his last days. And so the king, King Jehoash, and his entourage, because we know that kings never go anywhere without an entourage, uh, perhaps his military leaders and his cabinet and, and uh, their assistants and their assistants, and had to be some soldiers there as well to protect the king, and there was probably musicians. But this whole entourage from the king came down from the hill to visit Elisha and to kind of pay his last respects. Uh, he gets into Elisha's house and they go up to the second floor. Elisha takes him up to the second floor. Now this interesting dialogue begins to happen between Elisha and the king. Now remember, Elisha's a prophet, Old Testament prophet, and their responsibility or their job description uh, was basically to um, correct or confront the people or the kings when there was unrighteousness, when there was uh, a straying from the Lord. And they were also responsible to remind the, the children of Israel of their calling to be God's chosen people. Uh, the prophets were revered uh, by the kings, by the leadership uh, in Israel. And, uh, and many times they paid a price for that too as well. And um, so King Jehoash shows up, and in his mind, his job is simple. He's going to say goodbye to Elijah. Uh, it actually says that he began to weep. So the king began to weep, and he said, my father, my father, which is basically the same words that Elisha said to Elijah when Elijah was taken away. He said, my father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots, or the chariots and the horsemen. It had become almost like folklore. And uh, so kind of in a way to honor um, Elisha, Jehoash says those words back to him. And it's almost like it went right past Elisha, right past him. And he begins to do this command, obey dialogue with the king. He's on his last legs. He knows he's about to die. And he doesn't have a lot of time to dance around with the king. There's something that needs to be accomplished in the spirit. He says, take the bow and arrows. So clearly there was a bow and arrows in the room somewhere, whether he took it from one of the soldiers or whatever. And you can almost see Jehoash, the king, presenting it to Elijah like, okay, here's the bow and arrows. And Elijah says to him, take the bow. And so he grabs the bow as if an archer would grab the bow. And it says that Elijah reaches over with his hands and he puts his hands on the king's hands. And that's a sign or a surety when one of the Old Testament prophets would do that, lay their hands, it was almost like a guarantee that the Lord's blessing and the favor was on this symbolic act. He laid his hands 
on the king's hands. And then he said to him, now again, he's firing orders to the king. Open the window. Simply take the lattice away from the window. There weren't, there weren't pane glass windows in that day. So he told the king, go over to the window and open it. Take the, the, the lattice work away from it. And he says, take an arrow. And so the king takes an arrow. And I wonder if, if the king's beginning to feel like me and that woman. Like, he's just like, he's just obeying orders. He's like, where is this old guy going with all this? I, I mean, I come down here, and I bring all, the, all these people, my entourage is in the room here, and all this guy has been doing is ordering me around. Like, okay, I get it. You know, he's a prophet, and he's dying, but I'm getting a little tired of this. I'm the king. Um, he says, take the arrow. So Jehoash takes the arrow. And he says, shoot. And he shoots it out the window. And then Elisha says, let me, get, let me get there. The Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram. For, <clears throat> for you will defeat the Arameans, the Arameans, or the Syrians. They were also called Syrians, so we're going to call them Syrians. Um, at Aphek, until you have destroyed them completely. Now, I wonder if at this stage in the game, Jehoash's military leader kind of shuffled over and said, you know, <clears throat> dude, um, you know what you're doing here? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Said, yeah, this crazy old guy's got me shooting arrows out the window. He said, no, no do, you, do you know what this means? Like, what you just did? Uh, no, what, what's going on? He goes, well, the window faces east. He told you to take the lattice off the east-facing window, and you just fired an arrow out there. That's a declaration of war. In Jehoash's time, to fire a weapon, an arrow, or a dart from a crossbow in the direction of your enemy was a declaration of war. And Jehoash is like, oh, look, I, you got to get this guy off my back, man. I just wanted to say goodbye and get out. I didn't want to do all this stuff. Unfortunately, that little dialogue between Jehoash and his military leader did not happen. So Jehoash had just declared war on their chief enemies, the Syrians. He fired an arrow toward the east, which is where the Syrians lived, and he had declared war. Fortunately or unfortunately, Elijah laid his hands on Jehoash's hands. So basically, Elisha and Jehoash just declared war on the Syrians, but Elijah is representative of the Lord God. So in reality, God had just declared war on Jehoash's enemies, maybe without the king even knowing. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing that's taking place here. The Syrians had been tormenting and stealing and destroying and raping and pillaging the Israelites under Jehoash for years now. And Elisha, as his last act of a, as a prophet, was going to put an end to it in God's name. He said, this, this is going to come to an end. In fact, he says here, you will strike him, you will strike him and he will become nothing. It says that you will strike him and he will destroy them. He will turn, they will be turned to dust before you. 
But before any dialogue takes place, Elijah is in full prophet mode here. He's firing, he's commanding, he's moving in the anointing. And he says to the king again, take the arrows. So he grabs the arrows in his hand. And he says, strike the ground. Now, a uh, misunderstanding might be that, that um, uh, Elijah was saying, take the arrows and kind of smote them or bang them against the ground. But uh, back then, they would never do that with arrows because they had to make the arrows, and that would destroy the head of the arrows. What it meant was to go to the window and fire arrows out the window into the ground. That what, that's what it meant to strike the arrows, to shoot them. And so at this point in the, in, the, in the deal, Jehoash just wants to get out of there. He's embarrassed in front of his entourage. He doesn't know what this guy is doing. He fires an arrow. He takes another arrow. He fires a second one. He takes a third arrow. He fires it, and he stops. And he looks over at Elijah, basically saying, you know, okay, tell me what I just did. And it says that uh, Elijah is wroth. He's angry. Um, he said, you should have fired five, six times, and then you would, have, you would have beaten or defeated the Syrians five, six, seven times. But because you only shot three arrows, you're only going to defeat them three times, but you won't wipe them out. And then the next verse is, Elijah dies. And we don't know if he just, excuse my French, dropped dead right there in the room, or if Jehoash shrugged his shoulders and all his entourage left. And, but shortly thereafter, Elijah died. That was it. And he was done. Did Jehoash understand what he was doing when he was striking the ground with the arrows? There's a lot of debate that maybe he didn't know it meant to fire many arrows and that the arrows were somehow representative of how many times he would defeat his enemy. And some say he did because in Hebrew, and uh, Jehoash would have known that three is a number of completion. So maybe he thought, I'll fire three, that's a number of completion. I'll get this guy off my back and I can leave here more embarrassed than I care to, to admit. Things happen symbolically all around us every day. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, did you hear what Elisha said? When Jehoash fired the first arrow, he said, this is the arrow of the Lord and the Lord's victory, and you will defeat the Syrians at Aphek until they're utterly destroyed. And then after Jehoash only fired three arrows, he said, you will only defeat them three times and it'll be over. You know, sometimes God um, insults our heart to reveal our mind, or excuse me, insults our mind to reveal our heart. And in this process, he was revealing the heart of Jehoash. There's a quote that says, dispassionate leaders make the people suffer. And a revelation here of just how engaged Jehoash was in the life of his own people. This would mean, if it came to pass, that the Israelites would strike the Syrians three times and it would end. 
and yet they would still have to deal with the constant warfare, the constant pillaging and stealing and, and, and pain and suffering that came from having an arch enemy that lived to the east. The desire of God was to utterly destroy their enemies, but the dispassionateness of a man limited, limited God's will to three defeats. I wonder how King Jehoash felt on the eve after their third victory. If you read farther down in the chapter, it says, yes, they smote or defeated the Syrians three times, and then it ended. I wonder how he felt on the eve of the third victory, wondering, I wonder if Elijah was really right. I wonder how Jehoash felt and his military commander felt on the eve of the fourth battle that they lost or the fifth battle that they lost or the sixth battle that they lost or the seventh. I wonder if King Jehoash was here right now how he would preach this message. If there was some way to bring him back and say preach from 2 Kings 13. I wonder if he would say, great regret. I also wonder, what if Jehoash's, what if one of Jehoash's sons was with him? What if he said to one of his sons, hey, we're going to go down and pay our last respects to Elisha. Why don't you come with us? Be great. You could see dad do his king stuff. And I wonder if instead of turning to Jehoash, Elisha turned to Jehoash's son. Do you know who Jehoash's son was? Gideon. I wonder if they handed the bow to the boy and said, son, you fire the arrows. How many arrows would a kid have fired out the window? Every one of them. Every arrow he would have fired. And he probably would have thrown the quiver out the window when he was done. Let's see if I can hit Elijah's mailbox. Let's see how close I can get to the gardener. Let me see if I can knock the birdbath over. He would have fired every arrow. He would have taken the bow, run downstairs, gathered all the arrows up, come back, and fired them all over again. Because he's a child. Because he has childlike faith. He's not all wrapped up in the symbolism. He's not concerned about his reputation or how embarrassed he is in front of the entourage. He's just being a kid. Firing every arrow that's there. Jesus said, if you have faith like a little child, you can say to the mountains, be picked up and cast into the sea. Faith of a little child. There's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill that says, five minutes after we die, we'll know how we should have lived. Five minutes after we're in heaven, we're in the presence of the Almighty, we'll, be, we'll look back and we'll go, man, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I love the words that Elijah said. You should have struck five or six times 
then you would have struck the Syrians until they would have been no more. But now you shall only defeat them three times. You should have, you would have, but now you shall. New Hope is in transition. We're going from the leadership of Stephen Joy to the leadership of Zach and Rochelle. It's not bad to worse. It's not good to better. It's from foundation to foundation. One plants, one waters. God brings the increase. Stephen Joy worked and laid a foundation. Zach and Rochelle will come along and build upon that foundation. And who's ever after Zach and Rochelle will build upon their foundation. And we'll go from glory to glory to glory. But as a church, we're in transition. God has great expectation for new hope. But new hope has a very influential role in how much of that expectation comes to pass. We fire the second arrows. We unite our faith to what God is saying. I, I like another quote that says, God is under no obligation to explain himself to anyone. And there will be many times in the future when we will not know exactly what God is saying to us as a church. He's just going to ask us to fire the arrows. Do you trust me? Do you know my character? Do you believe me? Jesus at one point in his ministry said, the things that I do now you don't understand, but you will down the road. As a church and as individuals, we need to prepare ourselves for God to speak to us, for God to ask us do things, to do things that perhaps don't make sense right now. But if we trust in his character and we trust in his goodness, we will fire the arrows. Um, I'm going to just close in prayer. So would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'd like, to picture, I'd like you to picture yourself going to the window and standing at the window with a bow in your hand. And hear the Spirit of the Lord say to you, what is in your other hand? Well, they're arrows, Lord. Strike the ground with the arrows. Well, how many, Lord? How many should I fire? There's no answer. Lord, how many should I fire? How many arrows should I shoot? There's no answer. See, <clears throat> This decision is up to you. This decision is up to you. The sovereignty of God includes your influence. There's a scripture in the word that says these things are written for our instruction and for our encouragement. The answer is Simple and clear. How many arrows 
should I fire? Every one of them. As individuals, we should fire every arrow we have. As a church, we should fire every arrow we have. Father, I pray that as we step into a new season, a new time as a church, under new leadership, that we would be bold and courageous and childlike in our faith. We would take the arrows that are in our hand and the bow that is in the other, and we would let them fly. And we would give and leave the results with you, Lord. Don't leave an arrow in your house. Don't leave one arrow in your house. Father, I thank you. I pray that you would stir faith and courage that some that have even stepped away, some that have put the bow down, I pray that they would go to the window again. They would begin to see their enemy defeated before them, turned to dust. That they would begin to see that each arrow has writing on it. Destiny, calling, vision, prophetic. And that they need to be about the Father's business. They need to be actively engaged in seeing all that the Lord has come to pass in their life. I pray for new courage, new boldness, new resolve as a people, Lord. New resolve as a people. Lord, you said the kingdom of darkness will not, the gates of hell will not stand against the church. Lord, that's the utter destruction of the Syrians. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we decide how far and how hard we push. And I pray that you would give us a new resolve to see the kingdom of God come to pass in every area that we are involved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. Our prayer is that you've heard a now word for your own life and experienced the life-changing presence of God.